Oh, that's Danny. There's your Danny sound. So, uh, he is alive, and no, he's not locked in a cage, even though it kind of sounded like that. And welcome back to The Drop. This is Michael Saramella, and I am in California right now. I, yeah, we came out here for the US Open. We're going to be filming the pickup and a few other little secretive things that you will find out about soon enough. Uh, while I'm out here, but for the time being, we're going to talk about everything that happened in surfing this week. So first up, Buck's going to come on, and we're going to have what is probably, I think, my favorite conversation that I've ever had on this podcast, which is about Jadson Andre, of all things and all people. Um, yeah, Buck and I get into this story that's on the site recently and then we sort of go off on these tangents and we each have these uh, personal Jadson stories that somehow converge in the most beautiful way. So stay tuned for that. We're also going to be talking about uh, the stab edit of the year. Remember that thing that we were doing where we were giving away a Bitcoin? Well, things have changed a little bit. We're going to give you an update on where we're at with all of that. After that, Stacey G is going to come on and we're going to talk about the numbers, the numbers in the CT, what it will take for each surfer to make it into that top five after Tahiti and surf in the lowers event. Uh, we did a story on the site recently that broke down all these numbers and Stacey G and I are going to do our best to explain it here on the podcast, what it will take for a sixth place surfer to jump above, what it will take for another surfer that's already in the top five to fall out and who we expect to be in that top five picture at the end of the year. And last but not least, we are going to do our U.S. Open preview. The event starts in, well, depending on when you're listening to this, it might have already started. But um, yeah, again, 10 days at Huntington Beach, Vans U.S. Open of surfing. It is obviously not the most exciting wave in the world, but that said, it is one of the most exciting and fun events to watch for all of the antics and fun things that happen. So we're going to give you our predictions and just a full preview of that. So let's jump in. All right, live from the stab office, Michael Sierra Mella. You know, um, I know that listeners of The Drop are really accustomed to high production value on this show. Like, we yeah. really go through all the ends. You know, I have a, a room that's above and beyond padded with like five feet thick of insulation, you know, just pure noise cancellation, the best mics in the world. Um, but yeah, I'm actually I'm slumming it right now in the California office. So if you hear. Garrett yelling or Danny. Danny's in attendance, believe it or not. Um, I think we, we might get to hear from him next week. I think he's going to join us back on the pod for a little bit. So Danny is alive. For anybody that was wondering, he's, he's here in California. You can see him right now. Uh, but yeah, if you hear any strange noises, um, that's that's what's going on. I'm, I'm out of my official podcast booth. Can we get one Danny noise in here? Just one? <laughs> yeah, I'll add it in later. Okay, yeah, just lead it. I, I, we need something, you know. Um, so California, I got a question for you. What is the water temperature? I'm gonna say 69. Okay. It's like right on that edge of your you're out there in a short arm, and if you're like sitting still, you're happy you're in a short arm. But if you're catching a lot of waves, you kind of want to be in a top. See, that's the only way I've ever in my life been able to articulate water temperature. Like I've never been able to apply a number to it. I, do you think it was actually 69? Like, do you, are you actually good at that? I can't tell if you just threw it out there because it's what people do in the bedroom sometimes or if it's really the number you think it was. Well, I think to me it's just the, like, 72 is where I think, like, you're just in, you're in board shorts at 72 regardless. Like, but it's, like, a little chilly. It's, like, Hawaii level. 
So I feel like it's a little bit less than that. So I'm saying 69. Okay. I, it sounds to me like you just read like a surf wax guide 15, 20 years ago <laughs> and are just still going off that. I, I don't know. I surfed today here and I can tell you that I was, I wore an old three mil and I was cold. And if I had to guess at what the, the water temp was, I would really probably be embarrassing. Like I don't, I have no idea how to put that into a number. I could do it the air temp, but with water temp, I've just never been able to do that. Oh, that's Danny. There's your Danny There we sound. go. Yeah, so uh, he is alive. And no, he's not locked in a cage, even though it kind of sounded like that. Um, and yeah, to your point too, on top of all of the confusion, you have to add a conversion to the equation because you live in Europe now. I do. And honestly, Celsius is just superior to Fahrenheit. It's just better. Degrees actually count for something. It really is. We were, I was driving with Danny last night and I said something in miles and he was like, I have no idea what that means. And then I did my best like estimation of what that would be in kilometers. And he's like, whoa, like, how do you do that? And I'm like, that's like, for me, it's like going from something that, yeah, I grew up with it, but it's so stupid to something that's just like purely logical. Like it's really not that hard to know like how long a kilometer is in relation to a mile or even just like like sight, like you think of like a hundred yards, you can visualize a hundred yards and then you can multiply that by 10 pretty easily. But there's just no rhyme or reason for anything in the imperial system. Is that what we call it? It's also a pretty fucked up name if you think about it. It's like, we're just going to take over. It is. I've always thought that was a weird name for the beer in Costa Rica too. It just seemed a little bit with all the history there. Like, huh, imperial, that's what you went with for the national beer. Okay. Anyway, the water's cold. I have no idea. Uh, 60 degrees Fahrenheit. That's probably so far off. Fuck you. Let's go. This is why every CT surfer loves Jadson Andre. Heartwarming, folks. This is one to warm your hearts. Do you love Jadson Andre, Mikey? I absolutely do, especially after reading this. And it's crazy. Like, I mean... The comment section of Stab has definitely cleaned up a lot since we basically put it behind the paywall and it's only subscribers that get to play in there. But I, I don't know if I've ever seen such a resounding positivity. Like there's not a single naysayer in there. And people bringing up their own like Jadson anecdotes, um, which was really Ooh, cool. I have one of those. We'll get to it. I have one. But a little background here. Jadson qualified in 2010 at age 20. He beat Slater in the final event that first year as a rookie and won. And one of the most interesting parts of this interview to me is he talks about that experience and he talks about being criticized because he was just punting every wave. And I guess the feedback after that was people talking shit saying that like, oh, he can only do air reverses. Like he's a, he's not a good surfer. All he does is an air reverse. This is stupid. He shouldn't won, blah, blah, blah. And to your point about how the comment section was here, it shows you how much people have changed, I think. Like, it shows you kind of how the overall kind of conversation in surfing has changed. I just don't think people would respond like that anymore. If somebody came on a tour and, like, and just started doing something that was a little bit different, doing it their own way, and one, like, I don't know. I feel like it's in the stab comment section is definitely in a more positive place than it's been, but I feel like surfing in general is, and that's really cool to see. Yeah, it just goes to show, like, this guy just has a smile on regardless of what the circumstances are. And I remember, like, personally, I made one time a joke about Jadson on Instagram. I forget exactly what it was. It wasn't, like, super rude, but it was definitely, like, a jab at Jadson. And he just commented back with, like, the nicest, most sincere thing. And I just felt like such an asshole. So after that, I just became resigned to loving Jadson, I suppose. Wow. Wow. Fair enough. Fair enough. 
I'll do my Jackson story now. I got more to talk about, but let's just go straight into mine. Virginia Beach, ECSC, let's say like... Wait, I was going to bring this up. You were there? Oh, well, I had a personal interaction with him. I'll let you go, and then I'll see what I can add to it. Okay. Okay, I'm going to... Yeah, because I think actually, unless yours is like super... No, no, no. Mine should go first, storytelling-wise. This will make more sense. Okay, so ECSC, Virginia Beach, the year is 2007. Uh, this is an event that all East Coasters know, and love is, is maybe not the right word, but it's a thing that we, we do every single year. I love it. I love it's, it. It's, I think, actually, technically, the longest-running surfing event in the continental U.S. So, it's, yeah, it's the East Coast Surfing Championships. It's not affiliated with any, like, important organization. It's not NSSA. It's not ESA. It's not anything that is, like, recognized. So, like, winning this event is basically a one-off. It doesn't really get you into nationals or anything like that. It's totally separate from all the organizations. But, nonetheless, it's this festival. It's basically the East Coast version of the U.S. Open. It's a big party on the beach in Virginia. It's, like, just really dingy and grungy and gross, but, like, beautiful in that way. So, anyway, we're, we're used to going to this event, and... You know, all the East Coast guys are there. Some of the good California pros would come over. Sometimes we'd get some Hawaiians or whatever. But to my recollection, we'd never really had many Brazilians come to that event up until that point. Ooh, so ooh. 2007. Adriano oh. snuck through before he was big time too. Adriano did He did? Too. Yeah, okay. yeah. <laughs> okay, well, my recollection comes from 2007. And I remember it clear as day because two Brazilians showed up at our doorstep and I had never seen anything like this before. So it was Jadson Andre and it was Miguel Pupo. And the waves for this event are like historically consistently laughable. Like sometimes they're lapping up on the beach. Sometimes they're, you know, sort of like dribbling from a hundred yards out and like hardly ever break. And you have to do these little like windshield wipers all the way in. There's one year actually where they got like a sick hurricane. I think Nat Young won maybe. Um, but anyway, the waves are always terrible for this event. So Jadson and Miguel sign up for every single division that they possibly can. And this is a pro event, a pro junior event, and an amateur event. And within the amateur event, there are like different age groups and divisions and stuff. So I think all up, they signed up for like five divisions. Oh, yes. Yeah. Pro, pro junior, open men's, men's, and like juniors or whatever. So uh, these guys show up and they are so much better than everyone and better than anyone that I'd ever seen surf small waves in my life. Like it was like such a joke. And I remember there was this one heat where I think, ja I think it was Jadson. I think he got two waves on the inside bar where everyone was sitting. And he probably got like a couple sixes, sevens, like something that he knew would get him through the heat. And there was this like outside bar that would break once every like 10 minutes. It was like this shoal basically. And if you got the right one, it would like connect all the way through. And rather than getting a like five second ride, you'd get like a 30 second ride. And so he got two waves and he paddles all the way out the back and he gets this wave and like rips it all the way to the beach. And if they were giving like six and sevens for the shore break, his wave would have been like a 15. I don't know what they actually gave it, but anyway, I just remember being so shocked and amazed by how good these two surfers were. So here are the results of that event. In the pro division, Jadson got second place. He got beaten by Aaron Cormican, who is probably the winningest, like, just strictly East Coast pro. Oh, he was unbeatable at that in that era in those waves. Nobody was touching him, not even Jadson. So whatever. So Jadson gets second in the pro division. Um, Miguel Pupo wins the pro junior. 
in the amateur junior division, which is I think like 15 to 17 year olds or whatever, Jadson got first and Miguel got second. In the open shortboard division, Miguel got first and Jadson got second. Buckley, do you know who got sixth place in that open shortboard final? Did you? No, you did. Oh, really? (laughs) (laughs) You don't even remember. You lost so bad, you just completely blocked it out of your memory. (laughs) Wow, that's really funny. I didn't know that happened. Um, Well, that's so funny that you remember that shoal thing because... I had like, just because, you know, the contest runs pretty much all day, but you still have windows before and after to surf. And I had like had just a nice moment with Jadson in the water. Like I was clearly so blown away by the surfing with like a free surf one time, like just kind of like a head nod thing, you know? And there came a point where we were, we were, he was finishing a heat and I was paddling out for one. And I was just going to be a normal person and sit on the shore break and because we had that moment, he like paddles up to me as we're kind of crossing paths. And he's like pointing at his watch and pointing at the shoal. And he's telling me like every five minutes, every five minutes there, every five minutes go out there. I don't think I actually went, but I just remembered like, because I remember he was, it was him, Miguel, and they had that coach Pinga there. And I remember those guys were on the beach, literally nonstop, like Pinga had like a clipboard taking notes. Like I'd never seen a program so like, tuned into watching the ocean and actually saying like having that like okay every five minutes a wave's gonna come here and i just thought it was so nice until i saw him in the men's final and he fucking beat me by a million points that is really funny that came so full circle that was incredible yeah i'm glad i went first wow well you know what that's probably the only the only story from ECSC that would not get me canceled or incriminated in some way. So I'm glad it came up. And there's good reason why I didn't really remember that, I think. Uh, that event is known for its extracurricular activities. Um, so I have one more hot take, Buck, that I, I'm honestly not sure how you're going to feel about this. I okay. think you're going to be very conflicted. Okay. Let's, let's end on the hot take. I want to get one more thing out of the way first. One more thing. Cause okay. Let's end this on a hot take. One more thing off my chest. In this video, or I'm sorry, in this interview, I plugged in a video from the WSL's YouTube that's a profile piece on Jadson. And I think it may be one of the best, like, kind of profiles that they've done. It was before he lost time. Just want to call it out. But if you don't know much about Jadson, he grew up in poverty. Uh, his parents didn't agree with him even starting to surf. They thought it was going to be a waste of his time, waste of his life. He took a job collecting trash to try to pay for his first kind of contest entry fees. And then by the time he was 12, he got a contract with Oakley and went to live away from home to go pursue professional surfing. I mean, the guy's story is incredible. How do you even go near that? And he's now surfed a hundred events on the CT. And most of all, Mikey's got a hot take about him. All right. Hot take. Here we go. So this whole year we've been riding the Jacko Baker train it served us well for a while, oh, yeah. but I think we have to admit, we have to be honest with ourselves, it has derailed and it's not getting back on course. There's one event left this season. Yeah. It's Chopo. I don't know if Jacko's ever yeah. been there. Mm. I don't see him doing that much <laughs> out there. However, there is a bright shining light. We have Jadson Andre. 
Jadson is a oh. weapon at chopes. I am putting so much money on him to win these early round I'm heats. In. Can we get on the Jadson train? On the Jaddy yes. train. Oh, we're riding that thing to glory. Yeah, we yes, are. thank you, Mikey. Thank you. <laughs> Betonline.ag. We're gonna have some massive Jadson odds. Um, I hope they go. I hope that they think that he's like, oh, Jadson. Like, what's he gonna do out there? I'm gonna give him like plus four hundred. I'm gonna win all my money back. All that Brazil money. Oh. All that uh, J Bay money. It's all coming back on Jadson. Yes. Get on board, folks. Get on board. Team Tan wins Stab Highway, California. Ian Crane takes home the monstrous air. Well, we hinted at this last week. We didn't want to give away too many of the details, but here are the details. Team Team Tan took it home, as did Ian Crane. And what a final episode. Oh my god. Are you it's I don't think I've seen such a positive response to any project in the history of Stab. It's hard for me to talk about it because I was obviously there, but I'm glad people loved it, and I think that I hope that this is like the sort of like proof of what we can do, and I, I hope we get to keep doing these things as well. Like, there's already been talks about, like you said, doing them on the East Coast, maybe, or maybe even Europe. Um, so the possibilities are endless. I hope that our sponsors feel the same way that they loved it as much as our fans did, because we want to keep doing these things all over the place. Yeah, I want to talk about one particular moment in there, and. It's the land and air naked at Blacks as part of the relay race. Because the other challenges were hard. I mean, it's hard to sprint down the hill. It's It, it seemed like that was the challenge where it, there was the most... It was the hardest one to pull off, basically, out of the relay race, which was run down the hill, set up a board from scratch, land and air naked, and then run back up, right? And... I kind of had this moment where I was like, whoa, this is, this whole thing is kind of hinging on that. Like, it it's hard to find a wave just off the bat to do an air on and actually do it. And you're naked and you're like dealing with people in the water. Like, it kind of tripped me out that like the whole thing hinged on that moment. But at the same time, there was no way Tan was losing. Like, you could tell they had momentum, at least from an outsider. It seemed like they had so much momentum going into that that it was like there's no way Crane wasn't just gonna get his crane out and land an air noon like a minute. Like how did you make well, sense? Okay. Of that? I guess I wanna preface this by saying that like I totally agree. That the air was like the part of the thing that I would be most terrified for that to be like my role if I was in that relay race because that's definitely the thing that you could just, you know, screw up the most easily and it could take somebody, even a really good surfer, you know, 15, 20 minutes to land an air. Um, but the crazy thing is that it almost didn't get to that point because there's a scene in the final relay race where Tan has already handed their board off to Ian Crane. You know, Ivy finished her board, handed it off. Um, Zoe finishes her board and she starts running toward Parker, who's their surfer, to do the air. And Ivy basically decides, you know, out of the sort of craziness of the moment that she's going to, like, sort of fuck with um, Zoe. And she does this little shimmy in front of her, like, while Zoe's running. And she sort of leans into her and shoulder checks her. Fuck yeah! Take her out! Elbow to the face! Elbow to the... Oh! That's an interference! It wasn't like a big deal, like nobody got like hurt or anything like that. 
but it was that prior to that in the sort of when I was reading out the rules of this final challenge I made it really clear that there was no contact no interference allowed because especially on like the run down the Ho Chi Minh Trail we just didn't want somebody throwing another person like off the side or whatever I would have laid that motherfucker out put him out for fucking months that never really came to fruition just because Aton or Zeke never even caught up to Aton but I didn't foresee it happening on the beach, I suppose, and it did, like, Ivy just basically made a mistake in the heat of the moment, and that left me in a position of, what do I do? Because, like, I, I said that that was a rule that you can't do that, but I had no rule, or I had no guidelines of, like, what the punishment for that rule was. So, like, there had to be some sort of, you know, penalty against them, but I had no idea what that was, and so, in the moment, like, this is all happening so fast. So I'm like, my initial thought is like, do I just cancel this now? Like, it does an interference, like, basically make the whole thing moot and the green team wins? And obviously that would have been, like, a really gnarly decision to make. It would have sucked for the show. It would have sucked for the tan team. Um, but, yeah, just in that, like, in the heat of that moment, like, I didn't know what to do. And We have to implement a 60-second hold. So when Ian lands his air, he'll get the thumbs up. But he's gonna have to stand here with me for a 60 seconds before he can run to the next surfer. Waggy, butt ass naked. He's gotta stand here. That's like Ian's gonna be stoked. The whole world gets to see his fucking huge. I ended up giving them a 60 second penalty, which meant that once Ian landed his air, he had to come and just stand on the shoreline for 60 seconds, which would then theoretically give the green team another opportunity or multiple opportunities to land an air and catch up because they were a little bit behind or whatever. Um, and that is basically what happened. Like they went out and Ian, I think Parker maybe got the first wave and he tried an air and he fell, which God, that must've been like, so hard. like, you know, when you're like in a heat or whatever, and you don't land something and you're like mad at yourself underwater. Like I can't even imagine at this level, like just not landing like a dinky little air reverse or whatever, something they'd done a million times. So then Crane gets the next wave and he lands a proper air and, um, he comes in and he's like ready to go to tag the next person. And I'm like, well, wait, hold on a second. <laughs> like, you got to wait. And he's like, what? He doesn't understand what's going on because all this happened sort of like in the background on the beach or whatever. Um, and meanwhile, Parker gets like two more waves and they just, they weren't good sections. Like it wasn't his fault. He just, he didn't get the pop and release that he needed to get a proper air. It looked so frustrating. And they're both like naked, of course. And yeah, there's just all these different factors. So yeah, the air did determine it, but it almost didn't even get to that point because of that moment of like, what do we do when somebody breaks a very clear rule? Um, but yeah, I'm glad that the competition got to continue. I wish that Parker would have landed in air because how amazing would it have been to see Ball and Noah Waggy race up the hill at Black? Because that was like the finish we like really wanted is this like two people just like who probably don't train cardio, right? Like I don't see either of these guys like going on long runs when they're at home. Um, it would have just been amazing to see them crawling up that hill just yeah, just trying to get up to the top. Um, but still, I think the way that it finished was pretty cool, nonetheless. Imagine if somebody got past on the hill. Like, imagine just you're running up a hill, you're so winded, and somebody just runs by you, and there's just a trip you <laughs> yeah. can't do. He's slipping through your fingers. I don't think... Oh. But at that point, it's like... It's just pure will at that point, right? Like, you don't even, you don't feel anything anymore. Like, you're just going on pure adrenaline and sheer power of mental fortitude. Yeah, but if somebody's just, like, significantly fitter than the other, which for them, I'd say it's probably pretty even match, but, like, I just couldn't imagine the feeling of, like, that slipping away. Um, and then I really, man, I felt for Parker a 
a lifeguard was yelling at him? How are you going to yell at somebody for being naked at Blacks? Yeah, well, apparently, um, I mean, I kind of knew this, but I kind of just pretended like I didn't know this, but the, the naked part of Blacks Beach is technically on the north end. Like, where you exit the Ho Chi Minh Trail, you'd make a right rather than a left to go to the nude part of the beach. Mm. But, I don't know, we just saw it as it's Blacks. It's a nude beach, so we're going to incorporate that into the challenge, and we did, and you know, Crane was quick enough that it didn't really matter for him, um, or maybe impressive enough that it didn't really matter for him. And yeah, it could be either. <laughs> Parker, unfortunately, had a few misfires on the air, and then there was, I guess, a lifeguard out surfing who said, "Look, man, if you don't go in right now, I'm gonna arrest you." Which at that point, they were already like three or four minutes behind. It would have been almost impossible to catch the tan team, so it wasn't like it really impacted the result of the competition, but it was probably just like the most demoralizing way to end the thing like <laughs> you didn't land the air and then you get told that you're going to get arrested and you just go in very sad and wet and shriveled a lifeguard threatening to arrest you what are you going to do tie me up in your little torp but there is like there is just something so so difficult i'd imagine about being cold naked and having somebody yell at you it's just not <laughs> not where you want to be <laughs> Not at all. And then, like, the green team came in, and the green team was, like, livid, livid that I, you know, that in their minds, the 60-second hold, like, wasn't sufficient. Like, they thought that, you know, tan team broke the rules, like, they should be disqualified. They know they didn't play fair today, and probably, like, they got away with a lot of stuff all week. And, I don't know, maybe we should have tried to get away with more. Yeah, tan team's a bunch of whack-ass bitches, pansy-ass fucking kooks who fucking are lucky, dude. Lucky that my team didn't want us to play dirty and play how I really wanted to play. Probably just for the better of entertainment's sake, but it felt really stressful in the moment. Like, as the quote-unquote judge, I had no idea what I was doing. I cannot imagine how that felt in the moment. Wow. But it really did make for some incredible viewing. So, if you haven't watched it, go watch it. And then go watch Mikey and Kandui with the winners. <laughs> you want to talk about yeah, that? so... Well, yeah, we've got a really awesome trip planned. We're going to be going there in October. I don't, I don't know if I want to... Yeah, I'm just going to say it. I think that the Australian winners are going to be there too. So we have some pretty interesting ideas of what we're going to create content-wise from that trip. That won't drop probably till like 2023 just because after we film that, we're going to be going straight into the Hawaii season, etc., um, so you, you might not get to see that for a while, but I promise it'll be worth it. Ivy has some really interesting ideas that she's pitched that are sort of along her realm of skills and creativity. So um, I'm not sure exactly what the end result is going to be, but I can assure you with a roster like that, you got Ian Crane, Noah Waggy, Eitan Osborne, Ivy Miller, and then assuming the Australians do come, which I think they will, you got Noah Dean, Wade Goodall, Sean Manners, and Jaleesa Vincent, and Kobe Perkovich, the winner of the Monster Air. So pretty wild pack there. Yeah, that's insane. That's insane. Well, that's going to be great. Lucky you. And you won't even have to be yelling at anybody. <laughs> nope, I'm not going to be wearing my ref jersey, so I'm going to be a happy boy. No, no whistles allowed that time, Mikey. All right, what's going on with Stab Edit of the Year? I'll tell you what's going on. We have got five entries. All of them have been incredible, but we are changing the system up a bit. Originally, we we're going to break the year into quarters, and there's going to be a link to vote every quarter for our Stab Premium members. We're just going to do it all at the end of the year now, and the way it's going to work is we've got a few more on the way, but 
Towards the end of the year, you're gonna get, if you're a premium member, you're gonna get a link. We'll be talking about the site on here, everywhere. You're not gonna miss it. But you will vote for the top five, and from there, that top five will be shortlisted and handed to the Stab Surfer of the Year panel, which is a panel of 50 of the most influential voices in surfing, and they'll choose from there. So basically, earning your spot on that list is... We've done these interviews, Mikey. It's just, you do them and people say, oh, what came out this year? You go, these five did, and one of these is going to win, right? So, Absolutely. Let's talk about where we're at so far, though. What I think is so cool is the the mix of surfers that we have entered so far. So you've got Rio Wida, who essentially qualified for the CT in like two events this year, unheard of. We have got Mateus Hurdy, who is about to win the U.S. Open. We've got Ollie Henry, whose brain does not work like the rest of our brains. We've got Brad Flora, who is a plumber from Maryland who shapes his own boards and just surfs incredibly. Like, what a what a just wild card to throw in the mix there. And especially for the quality of that edit. Just, fuck yeah, Brad. And then Kale Walsh, who in my opinion is one of the best free servers in the world right now. And I'm just going to say, probably my favorite edit so far. What do you got? Ooh, you're swaying the vote, Buck. Are you allowed to do that? Yeah, I am. Oh, okay, cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I agree with everything you said. I am also really excited for a few of the other uh, Stab Edit of the Year entries that I know we have coming. So that's going to be, you know, they're going to be dropping throughout the back half of this year. I imagine there is going to be a bit of a buildup in those, you know, those last couple months. Um, the cutoff is November 30th. So I think October, November, we're going to see sort of an influx of incredible surfing. Oh, I bet it's going to be hectic. To the best person win. Right now, Bitcoin is at 24K. Uh, could go up, could go down. It is at, it's at a record high right now. Um, <laughs> and you guys probably don't hear about this, but in Europe, they're actually talking about it, having it replace the euro. Um, so there is a lot of potential there. And it'll be interesting. Is that real? Or is that like a, a buck joke? I'm making that up entirely. Okay. The Vans U.S. Open of Surfing is upon us. It starts on July 30th, so pretty much by the time you're listening to this, it's on. And it will wrap on August the 7th. We have got a big week. And Mikey, you are there. Your first heat is against Jadson Andre and Miguel Pupo. <laughs> and I wish you luck. Thank you. Uh, yeah, I think I'll sit that one out. But um, still, I'm going to be there at the US Open. I'll be kind of there. I'll be in my bunker for the most part because we're going to be doing the pickup. Mm. And Where you belong. I'm going to be break, breaking down all these sixes and sevens and hops and jumps and spins and pier shoots that go down in that event pier shoots you're claiming well jadson's got probably the best one of all time right barrel pier mm. shoot bang the end section on the other side yeah okay okay yeah yeah we'll see one i like that prediction i'm gonna throw a bold one out there so eric logan earlier this year told us that the challenger series views are up 330 percent from 2019 i'm gonna say this is gonna be the most watched one yet i think just the time zone it being in the u.s and being super easy for brazilians to watch too 
I'm going to say this is going to be a record-breaking CS event. And as everybody knows, this is a CS-based podcast, so you heard it here first. <laughs> yeah, and Stace and I are going to break down sort of our predictions and thoughts around the event in a later part of this episode. But keep in mind that the, the pickup is going to be coming for the first time ever to the U.S. Open, normally a Hawaii thing. We're going to have three episodes, and it is going to be a blast. I will say that like in Hawaii, the pickup is awesome but it's like going to the same place every year it becomes like you have to dig deeper and deeper and deeper to find new stories to talk about but Mm. in the pickup us open we've never been to huntington so there's so many incredible stories to tell that like have never even been touched because nobody's ever thought to so i know for a fact like i I see these guys working on the packages right now and there's some really incredible stuff that's going to be in these episodes yeah so they come out at one is this sunday Ep two Thursday, and then Ep three is the Monday to follow, and there's gonna be some good stuff. I don't want to tease too much because we'll be talking about it a lot more next week. But there are rumors, there are rumors of some footage being shot of Dan Gadaskus in an IHOP, and <laughs> I just want to say, you know, there's some there's some ugly stuff happening in the world right now. But is there anything more wholesome than Dan Gadaskus eating pancakes? <laughs> Could there be anything that's just more easy to watch and just kind of makes you happy than Dan Gadaskis eating pancakes? It, Mikey, seriously, no, is there? No, that's peak dopamine. It's peak. It's It just makes you feel good. Okay? So we have that coming, and then we have some deep, deep stories about HB in the U.S. Open. It'll be really fun. Watch it. Enjoy it. Watch the event. Watch the pickup. Have a good time, and um, don't be surprised when Mateus Hurdy wins. All right, it is a surf sin time. We've got Liam here. It's a complex one. Um, he doesn't say snowbro, but I'm just going to apply <laughs> it. I'm pretty much just going to call everybody snowbros from here on out. So <laughs> Liam's got another snowbro. These guys are everywhere. <laughs> Fucking hell. But Liam and his snowbro are here with the surf sin. So let's hear it, Liam. Any Buck, Mikey, forgive me, gentlemen, for I have sinned. Um, so to set the scene for this one, this is going back a few years ago to summer 2019, Southern California. Um, we had a fun south swell rolling down here, and I had just moved into a new spot with one of my good buddies who I surf with frequently, and we had a third roommate who was random. Um, and this is like literally like two days after we moved in, we were chatting about how we were, you know, probably going to surf the next morning. And our roommates like, oh, uh, asked us if he could come, explained how he was kind of newer to surfing when he was picking it up and he was getting pretty good at it. And we were just like, you know, yeah, sure, dude. So we all pile into the truck this next morning and drive down on the beach. The spot we we're surfing, uh, is known for having stronger rip currents from time to time. So we paddle out. And about 20 minutes into the session, we find ourselves in the grip of one of these mid, uh, rip currents, me and a couple of the other dudes that were just surfing the peak that we were on and the new roommate. So we just paddled out of it and I turned back around and our new roommate is about 50 yards out and he doesn't really quite realize what's going on. But like a few seconds later, um, he starts freaking out pretty bad because I don't, he, it turned out actually he was from 
the middle of the country, like landlocked states of the ocean, was pretty foreign to him. And I don't even think he really knew what a rip current was. So he starts kind of losing his cool a little bit. And I was just like, hey, dude, calm down. And he doesn't really have good paddling strength because he's, again, doesn't hasn't really developed that yet. So he just keeps getting dragged out further and further. At this point, he's like kind of full on melting down the lineup, screaming for people to help him, screaming for people to call the Coast Guard. And there's probably like 70 people in the water. It's pretty spread out because it's a beach break. Um, but like at this point, like people along the whole beach are kind of looking at this kid like, what the hell? I was pretty confident he would be fine. He wasn't like that far out. And I knew the current would just take him out there. He, you know, was on a pretty big board, so he would be all right. But he's like full on losing his cool in the lineup. So then I'm sitting there and I have to kind of make the decision here. Like, you know, do I want to paddle out at this spot that I don't really surf too often? It's not super localized, but like, I'm like, you know, I don't want to paddle over there and then have everyone be like what the fuck uh you know people were in the lineup were like already kind of like what the hell is going on who is this kook my roommate paddled away so i just kind of paddled away and just went along my merry way and left our new roommate slash friend out there to the elements and then another server actually ended up paddling out total stranger paddle out there and had our roommate grab onto his leash and paddled him back to the shore. And we stayed out, me and my buddy, and surfed for like another hour. It was pretty fun. Not super heavy day. It was like three to five. But, you know, it was pretty fun. Surfed for like another hour and came in. And he was kind of shaking up on the beach, kind of like, what the hell? So, yeah, that's my uh, my surfs. And let me know what you guys think. I have, I got mixed feelings. I got mixed feelings on this. Um, on one hand, it does seem like a little bit of a dick move, just a letting your bit. friend float out to sea. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but on the other hand, I mean, thinking back to last week's episode, we were talking about, you know, there's 35% more surfers in the lineup. That means people who are new to surfing. And I think that naturally, a large part of that means that they're new to the ocean too. So I think this is just a way that people learn. Like, how, like we've all gone through this, right? Like, people who have surfed their whole lives, we've all been sucked out in a rip. Maybe we've been saved. Maybe we've figured it out on our own. But it's, it, like, we know that these things happen and we know that they exist because we've just been exposed to it. And this person hadn't been exposed to it yet. So, to me, if you were to, like, remove him from that situation at an early point, he might not recognize the severity of it. Okay. And, like, the problems that can come from that so now that he's had this traumatic experience he's going to have nightmares he's going to have fears every time he steps in the sand and i think it's good for everyone because he's more ocean aware he may not go into oceans and put himself and other people's into danger as much and i think that it's just part of the initiation of like becoming a surfer as opposed to a snow bro who happens to surf yeah i mean the guy he loves snowboarding this guy so yeah, I feel you on that, like a tough love kind of thing. Um, and I guess when somebody's on a surfboard, they're not going to drown. Like if you can see the guy and he's on a surfboard, you're not worried about like he's not just going to suddenly die. National one, what is your emergency? I came on paddleboarding and a hard wind is pushing me out to sea. Okay, do not hang up. Like if, if you really need to go out and get him, you can. And I can also relate to like, than not wanting to be associated with somebody per se. Like I think we've had other surf sins where somebody just takes somebody in the lineup, a snow bro, and 
something uncomfortable happens and you, you feel guilty because of your friends. So I relate to that, but I still think it's a sin. I mean, just to, I think when you take somebody in the ocean, you're, you're, you're responsible for them in some way. And I know this guy said he's going to do it on his own, but I think it's a sin. And the penance that I'm going to give Liam is he needs to go on a Craigslist date because he said this guy was a random roommate that he had. I don't know how they met. There's probably better apps for it now. But I think basically he's got to pay up to that community of strangers. And so what he's got to do is he's got to go. I, there's, I'm not saying do the modern equivalent of Craigslist. I'm saying go to Craigslist and go to the like personal section and you need to go on the date. You need to pay. You need to pay for that date. Um, I'll let you choose whoever you think Spark's going to fly with, but you need to find somebody on the Craigslist platform and take them to a dinner. Wow. What's the like marketing strategy if you want to find a date on Craigslist? Like, What's your tagline and then what's your sort of body say? Uh, it's difficult. I mean, if it was me, I'd probably first do a scan of what's already out there, like see if there's anybody I could hit up. And if I'm not really seeing anything too appealing, then I'd, you know, put my ad out there. So I guess that's the process. Liam, you better document this because he did ask me, he's got some pirate company where he bought a bunch of board bags and he rents them to people in San Diego. It's called SNV Surf. Um, cool. If you don't want to deal with the board bags. So look them up, SNV Surf. And because I'm giving you that shout out, Liam, you will be another, your sin will not be forgiven if you do not send us some sort of documentation of this date. And, I mean, minimum second base, right? At least. Okay, perfect. At least. Yeah. Cool. All right, well, I, what do you got? I, got? I got no penance. I don't think he sinned. I think this is all for the greater good. Um, you know, it's like you could, by saving this person, you'd be, it's like putting a piece of duct tape on a ding. Like, it may solve the problem today, but it's not going to solve the problem long term. You need to bring that home. Let that board maybe, you know, soak up a little bit of water, bring it home, air it out, uh, get out the get out the sandpaper, get out some sun cure, or maybe maybe you're an old school guy, you mix the resin with the catalyst, and um, you got to teach them the right way. This is the right way. All right, there you have it. But still go on the Craigslist date and send us images and we'll put them on the site. <laughs> Thank you, Buckley. And as always, if you have a surf sin, we would love to hear them. Please send them directly to our emails at michael at stabmag.com or buck at stabmag.com and we'll help you heal. Now we're going to jump on with Stacy G to talk about the mathematics behind the CT Top 5 and, of course, the U.S. Open, which is just getting kicked off right about now. So, Stacy, come on in. Hello, Mikey. Special U.S. Open edition of The Drop. U.S. Open, and we're going to break down, first and foremost, what needs to happen for XYZ people to make it into the top five after Tahiti. We have a really, really good story on the site this week for people who care a lot about the nitty-gritty of competitive professional surfing, which, of course, Stacy G and I sort of get off on that sort of thing. Um, it's by Holden Turnka, and he breaks down basically what would need to happen from a mathematical standpoint for certain surfers to either move into or out of the current top five. So it starts by sort of explaining how this year's system works. Um, you know, we've got 10 events and it's split into two parts of the year. So in the first part of the year, five events, you keep four of those results. 
back part of the year, another five events, you keep all of those results, which is to say that going into Tahiti, everybody is going to keep that score, which is different than a lot of years where um, sometimes you'd be going into the last event and you wouldn't necessarily know if a surfer was going to keep that score or get rid of it based on their score line because they had two events to throw away. So it makes it actually a lot easier on us now because we have more concrete math that we can look at because we know everybody's going to be keeping that score in Tahiti. Um, so just going at the men, obviously first place right now, we have Felipe Toledo. He's had pretty strong lead for a while now. Um, and then following him kind of closely is Jack Robinson. And those are the two male surfers who are officially locked in for Tahiti. Jack is about 5,000 points short of Felipe. He can of course catch Felipe if he were to win or get second or maybe even third and Felipe were to lose early, which Obviously, Felipe doesn't have the best track record out of Tahiti, and Jack has never competed in a CT event there, to my knowledge. Has he, Stacey? He has been a part of the trials a few times. However, I do not think he has been in the main event. Okay, I that sounds right to me as well. But he is probably top five, top three tube riders in the world. So, oh man, I don't know how to do this and make it, like, punchy, and, like, how to have a conversation about it, because it's so information dense i think it's a fantastic article and i think that first of all the subheading was brilliant it brought me into the article which then was an absolute lie um so that's great as far as i'm concerned job well done there um (laughs) 19 surfers can still make the top five i think was the subheading um which in theory is not incorrect however i didn't consider both tours um or it was something along those lines, you know, whatever it might have been. So, the main thing to take out of it, when you explain it, is how ridiculous it ever was that you would keep a result, drop a result, okay, so your net total is going to change from this, this person's in second, but technically they're in fifth once they drop a result, so on and so forth. This year's so easy. The Philippe Robbo situation is so interesting. That that is gonna be massive going into uh, going into trestles. Okay, I was just gonna say, you almost feel like, just based on sort of who they are, you almost feel like Felipe would maybe want to go into finals day second and like get that extra heat under his belt. Like last year, he kind of warmed into the event. Like he started off against Connor, and he had a heat that was like weirdly difficult for him. Like Connor opened with a huge score, and. Felipe was sort of slow to get started, and then he kind of relied on a wave at the end and a pretty high-risk maneuver to get himself through that, and it felt like that really kick-started him. He's like, okay, if I can get through that, then I can do anything. Obviously, he ended up getting stomped out by Medina. We've talked about that before, whether or not he really should have been losing those heats. Um, But yeah, he strikes me as the type of person who wouldn't mind surfing an extra heat out there, whereas Rabo he just, it feels like you could put him at any point in that draw and he would be just as confident, I suppose. And you know that he just wants to go to Tahiti and win that event. So I don't know if you're Felipe, are you, is there any value to not doing that well at Tahiti? Absolutely not. I I don't think that you would want to be in any unnecessary risking situations. It'd be like going to play golf and not using a tee on the first hole. Like how many heats do you want to serve today? Four or two? He strikes me as a bit of a momentum surfer. I think having a little extra heat, but maybe not, maybe not. All right, so anyway, 
I think um, Robbo's a bit of a momentum vacuum this year, so I'd be steering clear. I'd be I'd be wanting to sit there waiting for him, and I'd want his momentum to hopefully get sucked out of thin air by someone maybe like an Ethan Ewing or something in that other matchup that could potentially happen. And then you, um, you know, either way you're going to end up with most likely, and geez, it makes me proud to say this, an Australian will be going for a world title this year. And not just because they're going to be in the top five. Like, I'm, I'm seeing at least one Aussie, obviously, you know, in that final equation for the actual title title. Yeah, this was such a, like, meteoric leap for Australians. I mean, just as recently as last year, we were probably talking about, like, who is this next Australian that's going to come up and actually contend for anything serious? And now we have two of them just, like, right in the middle of it. It's pretty wild. Yeah, it it really is. It's um, it's it's phenomenal to see, uh, you know, particularly how the those two men have kind of navigated their careers too, with respect to um, you know, junior tours and and and, and you know, government systems and, and everything like that. They've definitely come from the outer. There's no denying that. And um, here they are, right at the top. So definitely a couple of good case studies right there. Yeah. All right. So that brings us to the bottom kind of of the men's bracket. So that's Ethan Ewing, Italo Ferreira, and Griffin Colapinto. Um, they're all fairly close. Ethan and Italo especially, there is basically just a little over a thousand points between them. And then Griffin is another 3000 points beneath Italo. So those are the three people whose positions are potentially in flux. And Griffin is then just a thousand points ahead of Kanoa Igarashi. So the big conversation here is that whichever surfer finishes higher at Tahiti between Griffin and Kanoa will get that fifth spot, assuming that nothing else changes um, as far as Italo and Ethan goes. But it's straight up a surf-off between Kanoa and Griffin to see who can go deeper in this event to get a spot at lower. It's absolutely not. It's the Connor Coffin situation you need to be worried about, which is Callum Robson in 2022. If Griffin and, and Kanoa both stumble, Caltex, who... I didn't think he would even make the cut, might even find himself in the final five come the end of the year because we saw what he's capable of pipeline. And this event is like anything when you're going for a title or you're going for a spot to be in the title. It's not about the guy just behind you. It's about the landmines you've got to dodge along the way. You know, we're not. it, it will not be Griffin v. Kanoa round three. No, it won't. But that being said, looking at Callum's situation... He needs a minimum second place. He needs to make the final to have a chance to make it into the top five. And I just I don't know how realistic that is. It's kind of... An easy way for me to put it is at J-Bay, one of my dear friends bet me a schooner, that Conor O'Leary won't get a quarterfinal at J-Bay. And I, and I just had to laugh because it's it's one less heat than it ever used to be. So... It, you know, the final isn't as far away anymore as, as as what it used to be. It just seems a lot closer, you know. Bang, bang, couple of good heats, and oh, he's in the semis, and it's just one more to go. That's very true, yeah. It does feel like once that sort of ball of momentum starts rolling, that it, anything could happen. Like, once you get into the quarters, all of the stats and everything seem to fade away, and it's just like who's in the moment at that point, and as you mentioned, getting to the quarters is basically winning two heats at this point. But I guess you're going to have to dodge the jaddy train. I've listened to the drop, and it's coming. Oh. <laughs> yes, it is. Um, but, okay, so 
as I said, Ethan, Italo, Griffin are all potentially, could all potentially fall out or get mixed up between one another. But it's going to come down for me to Griffin and Kanoa. So between those two, Stacey, who you got? Um, I think if if you think about a forecast being genuine Chopu and, and, and what we all want to see, um, I think Griffin is, you know, he's proven himself. He's he's committed. Um, there was a photo in the article of Griffin at Pipeline. That is oh. Unbelievable. I could never, yeah, ever imagine okay. myself being in any kind of position like that. Like, not, not just wave height, but just the criticalness of that drop is just mind-blowing. And the, the, the different contours in that wave, you can see, like, the image is just incredible. I think it's an Ed Sloan photo. It's just absolutely next level. Yeah, it's like breaking behind him. It's, like, insane. Yeah, like, if that wave came in... And it like you, you have no idea how hard it is to even like position yourself to be in the right spot for that wave, and which he did, and then to still want to take out like swing and go on it like while it's capping behind you isn't yep. freaking ridiculous. So he has you know the courage and he has, he has the technique to to do it. So I I think um I think I you know I'd take Griffin there. The thing with Chopu though is and it's 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 very much like all of these premier waves in the world. Um, Huntington Beach being another one of them, um, which we'll talk about that later. It is when it's not doing its thing. It's it's such a contrast, you know. Um, I can think back to the year Tahiti when you know the first three rounds were just backside Rios, and you know who can play the chess game the best. And that's where I, you know Kolohe did really well. Um, you know. I could see Kanoa, you know, being in that same sort of situation. Um, you know, just those crafty tacticians. You know, Griffin is getting a lot better at competing. He's obviously having an amazing year, but small, slow Tahiti, you know, it's probably going to favor uh, Kanoa. And Griffin's still been inconsistent this year. Like, he has two wins, and he's barely holding on to the fifth spot, um, whereas Kanoa doesn't have a win. So, yeah, it's, there's a lot there. And, I mean, even if it was barreling, I, I know Kanoa maybe doesn't have that, like, lunatic sort of vibe that Griffin does, but I bet he's still going to put up sevens in all of his heats. You know what I mean? Like, he's one of the most consistent competitors, like, where he's just going to put up scores no matter what. So, yeah, it's going to be an interesting one. I think if it were to me, like, I'd rather watch Griffin at lowers. I think that he is a more exciting surfing out there. I think he's a more deserving person to be in that final five conversation but that said you know the numbers don't lie um these things have been figured out over very many years and adjusted and if Kanoa pulls it off he pulls it off so good on him as well and also like I couldn't really see someone going from fifth place all the way to number one but I think Kanoa would also be a hard person to beat on finals day yeah definitely um Kanoa at lower trestles would definitely be a force to be reckoned with but um yeah, like you said, just yeah, coming from fifth would be would be pretty pretty difficult. But um... and one other thing to note on this too is that so Italo obviously suffered a bit of an injury um, in J Bay. He sort of left that last heat limping. He had I think some sort of back spasm going on. We don't have full details on what's going on with that, but we have heard that he plans to compete in Tahiti, so he's at least well enough to surf. Um, but just as a general thing if somebody say somebody were to get hurt in Tahiti but they were still in the top five 
the sixth surfer would not get pushed up into that lowers event. There would just be basically a heat that gets skipped at lowers. Uh, and I think the reason that the WSL is doing that is because the lowers event, it's not just like the final day, like who wins the world title. It also determines how the year finishes out seating wise. So like you could come in fifth, but if you get yourself into the final, maybe you don't win the thing, but you finish the year second in the world. So there is actually a lot of implications to final state, even for those who don't win. And so to allow the sixth place person to come up would sort of mess with that too much. Um, so yeah, basically, if a surfer is injured, their spot does not Fucking get Fucking boo-hoo. No one even knows what a seed list looks like anyway. Let the sixth guy live. I want to see a full draw. I'm waking up at midnight to watch this shit. I don't want to see a fucking walkthrough. Are you kidding me? That rule sucks. The whole thing's pretty gnarly. The whole thing's, you know, still hotly debated across car parks and coffee shops around the world. Let the sixth guy live, especially in this situation like Kanoa or Griffin. They're just going to miss out. It's not like they don't deserve to be there. And the whole thing's a spectacle. Chuck the sixth guy in there and let him win a world title. Oh, I love it when you rant, Stacey. It really gets me going. Um, okay, well, you heard it here first, WSL. Let the sixth man in. Um, and also, let the sixth woman in. There's a lot going on in the women's side of the draw as well. So we've got a similar picture here where basically the top two women have sort of run away with it. That's Carissa and Joanne DeFay. Chris is at 52,925 points. Joanne's at 47,610 points. They are officially locked in for finals day. And on top of that, Joanne, yes, she has a chance to get in front of Carissa. Joanne, we know, does have a good relationship with left-hand reefs. She grew up surfing St. Lou in Reunion Island. Carissa obviously grew up in Hawaii, so sort of a similar thing in terms of at least comfortable with Reef. She's recently started surfing Pipeway more, so um, she's also been to Tahiti, I believe, multiple times to get some practice in out there over the years. She's probably one of the most experienced female surfers out there at this point. Um, so likely that she will go into finals day in the number one seed. Then in third place, this is where it gets interesting. We have Tatiana at 42,610 points. In fourth, Steph Gilmore, 41,625. And fifth, Brisa Hennessy, 40,285. So really close there. And then the sixth place surfer, Lakey Peterson, has 39,000 points. And then we have Tyler Wright in the seventh spot with 36,460. So there's basically five surfers in that clump that are really within, you know, five, six thousand points of one another, so there could be a lot of turnover here potentially. I love how you just threw down that Joanne is just going in as number one. There's like the difference Oh, did well, I say that? I, I Sorry, I meant well, to say Carissa. <laughs> I mean you did do a lot of talking then, it is very late at night here, so I'm, you could have said that, but I uh I think that the gap there is pretty big, but you're spot on about everything you said there about Joanne. She's, you know, she'd be speaking her native tongue there. There's a lot said and there's a lot, you know, a lot of a lot of the athletes talk about wanting to feel at home and she's going to feel right at home in Tahiti. So we'll clarify that there. Who who got going in number one at Trestles? Because it's pretty, pretty important. Well, okay. And now that you just said that, the other thing that I thought of, and just to be clear to our listeners, like we're going to do a deeper dive on the Tahiti event once we get closer to it and we have a forecast and we have a heat draw and everything like that. But it did just make me think, oh shit, Carissa's going to have the wild card in her first heat 
and either her second heat or her third heat, presumably. So that means that she has to beat who I assume will be Vahine Fierro. And if the waves are really good, I that's a pretty even matchup. For sure. Um, it, it really is. I think with these um, opportunities for the wild cards, particularly in the women um, at these locations that they have popped up at this year, uh, mainly Pipeline and now Tahiti, with the with the task uh, as horrifying as it is, uh, and it takes a lot of skill and a lot of courage. It it, it is fairly simple. Uh, positioning is where you're going to earn your points, and and obviously Vahine and uh, Moana Jones Wong at Pipeline, they will have impeccable positioning. So for everyone else, it is going to be such a hard task. And, and the reason why I say that is. Previously, wild cards, they come up. Yeah, they've got amazing video parts, particularly in the men over the years. That We've had some exciting wild cards. But a 30-minute heat is just so much different. And that's where the professionals that surf all year long on tour, they just they know how to, they know how to read the room and they know how to read the ocean in those shorter, condensed um, opportunities. And they just get the job done. But I'd say the women's wild cards are you know, as dangerous as they've ever been. Yeah, so that will be interesting. Um, if I had to guess, I'm still saying Chris is going in at number one to finals day, but we'll have to wait and see. Um, but what's really interesting here, like I said, is that bottom half of the draw. So Tatiana in third, she is also one of the most experienced women at Tahiti and easily a favorite in this event, like easily, easily a favorite in this event. I'd say I'd put her in top three category. So I think she's going to have no problem holding on to her third spot or potentially even moving up above Joanne if she goes really deep. Steph Gilmore, the conversation gets a little trickier. I can't, in my mind's eye, picture Steph getting a proper backside barrel. I'm sure it's happened, but I it, it hasn't happened enough that it's really registered in my mind. And then in fifth place, Brisa Hennessy, she grew up surfing cloud break all the time. So I think, and she lived there over the pandemic as well. She lived in on Namotu. So she at least has like had that sort of repetition semi recently. Um, I, I don't know this, like, I am a little worried for Steph. What are you thinking? I'm not too worried. Um, I think any criticism you can lay on Steph, you could probably then lay on Lakey. So I'm not too worried about that Breezy could overtake her yes but Lakey I'm not you know not too sure of I put her in the same basket as Steph there really like nothing super convincing with the, the backside barrel riding um, the, the next biggest threat for me is Tyler and she's you know she's a little bit further down the line and um, would need to make a few heats to jump Steph but could could definitely definitely do it um, the other the other surfer who's uh, unfortunately, by the looks of things, too far back would be Courtney Conalogue. She's um, madder than a cut snake, but I just think probably too much to jump there. Coming, trying to come from tenth up into the the top five might be too much of an ask. Yeah, I don't think that's really in the cards. But I'm going to go with you there on Tyler. I'm going to say Tyler's going to find a way to sneak into the top five. I think that she has enough sort of mongrel in her and. It's like what we talked about before, you know, showing up to an event late or a heat late, like you just are like, screw this, I'm going to go out and just dominate people. And she missed basically three events. And I think that she's just going to use that and abuse that and go out and make at least the semis probably a final one way or another. It may not be 
It may not be pretty, but she's going to put her head down and she's going to go and she's going to find a way into the top five. So I'm saying that Stephanie or Brisa, one of those two is going to fall out and Tyler's coming up over the top. That's a that's a big half year on the tour. Yeah, So I and I think she's going to pull it off. I think that this is like, make or break if you're listening to this, Tyler's probably the one to follow in Tahiti. And there's going to be a huge shakeup. And yeah, Brisa or Steph, watch your back. I'm not sure which one, but one of you is going down going to be exciting there's uh, a lot more to talk about there in the women's you know as, uh, con- considering the men it's a lot lot tighter yeah it really is so okay like i said we're going to have a more proper tahiti breakdown less maybe about the numbers more about the actual context and the forecast and everything when that comes but for now we are going somewhere very different in the pacific huntington beach usa u.s open is about to start by the time you're listening to this, it might already be starting, potentially. It might have already started. And you know what annoys me, Stacy, is they still don't have a heat draw. Ha! Huh. Brian Robbins, where you at? <laughs> um, so all of this is going to be purely speculative, I guess, to a certain degree. Like, we're going to bring you as much detail and fact as possible. But without a heat draw, it's hard to at least make any sort of storyline claims on this one. No, I can give you a storyline. The storyline is that every CT surfer has to surf a CS in their region uh, or um, or one of their choosing. That's why a lot of them did snapper. So um, Huntington for the men and women is going to be loaded with, uh, with, with talent. <laughs> Sorry for the interruption, but of course, as soon as we finished recording this podcast, the WSL decided to release the heat draw, so I'm going to give you a little update on which CT surfers will be in this event. On the men's side, we have Kaloha Andino, Jake Marshall, Nat Young, Kanoa Igarashi, Baron Mamiya, and Jadson Andre. Uh, A notable exception from that list is Griffin Colapinto, who presumably is going to go to Tahiti early to get ready to defend his number five spot. And on the women's side, we have only Courtney Conlog, Lakey Peterson, and Caroline Marks. That means Chris Moore is not going to be competing and pretty much every other woman in the top five. So, uh, yeah, it looks like people are really focused on trying to get into lowers, and they will not be in Huntington Beach. It's going to be stacked. And if you are, a, you know, a battler on the QE, it's the, it's the one event that you just... The heat draw, the fact that it hasn't come out would just be sending... You know, it'd be sending shivers down the spines of uh, most of the QS competitors because you just—it's a minefield of of you know crazy talent. Obviously, you know everyone on the QS rips as it is, but you, if you find yourself in a heat with you know Kolohe Andino or you know Griffin Colapinto or whatever in your first heat, you're like, oh god, couldn't have that person come up in the semis or something? Yeah. Well, unless you're Nolan Raposa, I guess, then you want him early on. But yeah, so this event has been won on the men's side. It's been won by a C tier the last five times it run. It's been Griffin, Yago, Kanoa, Kanoa, Felipe. Uh, that, of course, is buffered by probably the people's champ of the U.S. Open of all time, Hiroto Ohara, who won in 2015. Trying to get a driver license and then get some cars. <laughs> but to your point, yeah, it is. Uh, it's really hard to get past the, and and it's typically the younger flock of the CT guys who really do well in this event, which makes sense considering what this wave is like. 
you know, Kelly Slater did win it a little bit later in life, which was very impressive, but that is not the norm out here. Typically, it's the, the young guys who are super hungry and super talented. Yeah, it's um, it's it's such a spectacle, the US Open. It's absolutely, uh, from a competitor's perspective, not about the surfing, but how you can handle yourself in between your heats. Your, your heats is probably 30 minutes of the most normal part of your day. And then everything else in between is, um, yeah, all about ducking and weaving the d- different distractions and everything else that goes on with being in Surf City, USA. Yeah, well, we're going to be covering all of those things in the pickup. Um, so you can basically, if you're not a professional surfer, you can come along for the ride and find out all those fun things that are happening around the events. But yeah, so we obviously saw it Snapper. We saw a CT surfer win that event, Callum Robson. However, there was a local kid who ended up finding himself in second, Sheldon, Sim- Sheldon Simkis, sorry, who's going to be the Sheldon at this year's event? And if it's not necessarily a local, that's fine. But I feel like there will be one Challenger Series surfer who actually goes deep. Uh, you kind of gave me a little clue earlier. I'm going to ride Long Beach all the way to the final with uh, Nolan uh, Raposa. Wow. That's a big call. But yeah. I mean, to your point, he obviously did really well last year. He made the semis and then came up and made the semis in snapper again. So maybe there's a little bit of a theme, a little ping pong going back and forth here. Yeah, and it's such a it's such an awesome event. Like, it's not really an event where you might showcase your absolute best surfing, but you get to showcase your, your grit. And you can really see on the, on the waves and, and, and the positioning on the break kind of who's got their shit together uh, and who is, you know, being clued in um like you guys spoke about on the drop with uh pinger having his uh note board there and, and the boys knowing where the waves are going to break there's an absolute art to small wave surfing uh and uh, it cops a bit of heat obviously like f- for for whatever reason but the, the the surfers who can identify where the, where the best waves are coming through when it just looks like dog shit it's you know it's such a such a valuable tool and um you know, I think the people that do that really, really well there at Kolohe, Kanoa, um, obviously Simpo has a crazy relationship with that wave. But the one thing they do is they're, they're all over it. They're always looking for opportunity, like in the shore break, out the back. Um, the judges don't really seem to mind where you get your waves as long as you're throwing your body and your board around, you know, a couple of times, they'll, you know, they'll give you a score. It, it, again, it might not look pretty, but, um, yeah, there's uh, one thing I think that when you roll into that event, you're not really looking at the forecast. You, you just know that you, it's going to be a bloodbath at some point. That's probably true if you're a surfer, but I'm not a surfer, so I'm looking at the forecast, and I'm seeing something actually pretty interesting. So there's these sort of like underlying long period south swells that'll produce, you know, waves in the waist to chest high range, maybe head high if you're Hiroto. But on Monday and Tuesday, um, which, you know, are basically days, I think, two and three of the waiting period, there's this shot of tropical energy. So basically a storm spinning off the coast of Mexico, shooting out into the Pacific. And it's going to give us a little burst of steep south swell, shorter period. So we could actually see some pretty fun surf for a few days. And then it goes back to the sort of typical Huntington stuff. But yeah, it's always interesting. I don't know. I feel like little tropical storms always get people a little bit excited, you know, even though they don't typically pan out to be that great unless you're 
at Kira, I suppose. Um, so yeah, there, there's a little bit of an interesting flavor and splash in the forecast, which is fun. So two more names that I wanted to bring up to you, Stacy. One is a person who is dominating the Challenger Series right now and has two wins in a row. Can Rio go 3x? And then the other one is Mateus Hurdy, who I think we saw in Stab Highway put on a pretty dominating performance out at Huntington Beach. He beat Brett Simpson, he beat Ian Crane, he beat Parker Coffin. Either of these surfers, you see them as uh, potential winners or finalists or going deep? My two favorite Quicksilver QE warriors. Absolutely. Um, I think that um, this is probably where Mateus will shine. Uh, it, it really does. It really does suit him. And, and like the surfers that I mentioned, who are, have always done well there in the past, they're able to get scores anywhere in that lineup. Whether it's the Pier Bowl or the Machado Peak or like you know a one foot shorey in front of the judges, you know Mateus. And if you follow that kid on Instagram, his Instagram stories are like a movie part every day he goes surfing um so he's definitely got you know he's got all the variety and uh he's, he's got all the tricks in the bag whereas you know rio <coughs> being critical you know he's from indonesia he doesn't really love wearing a wetsuit it didn't seem to mind him in bolito but bolito's i don't know i think bolito's a pretty kind of tropical wetsuity zone whereas like huntington can get proper cold uh and uh, there's just the shape of the wave there. It's just a bit slower, and you know, Southern California waves are fun as. It's so fun to surf, but for a kid from Indonesia who's used to surfing across a steep reef, um, yeah, Rio might have to dig deep on this one. I yeah, think. I mean, even manly, like it was obviously it's manly, but it, it has this ripple effect where the wave has some curve in it, and Huntington has no curve in it. Like it's so flat for the most part. Um, so I kind of agree with you there, and it's also like. I think you brought this up before, but one of the most interesting parts of this is how much decision-making happens like on an actual wave in Huntington. You know, it's not like a typical, you know, you think of a wave like G-Land or even like Sakurama, like some of the like less high quality waves on tour, but like it's, you drop in and you are just like attacking what's in front of you, right? Like you're either hitting the lip or hitting an air section or carving back in the pocket. But in Huntington, you have to make actual decisions. Like you're taking off, especially at higher tides, right? And a lot of times you can choose to go right or left. Like, do you go toward a closeout section? Do you go along a longer wall that may allow more turns, but they're going to be flatter? And then you're coming into the inside and that's when the real choice comes. Like there's 15 different paths you can take to the inside on a lot of waves. You know what I mean? And you can go way to the right and then come back left, or you can stay close to the pier and, you know, ride a little right out of it. Like that's what I think makes this event interesting. It's like just, it's like theatrics, like on display, just happening right in front of you. And then people end so close to the shore, like as silly as it is, it's also really like oddly exciting. Oh, I find... Huntington and the US Open so exciting for all those reasons that you just mentioned and I think it comes down to expectation as a fan I do not expect anything great out of the Huntington swell period of forecast range that we get given it's like you turn up the events on they're going to be running four man heats most of the event so there's going to be some action at some point you know other than say like you go to a, one of these CT venues, and when they don't deliver, even though it's still better than Huntington, it's almost like deflating in a way. So, yeah, Huntington, fuck, it is. She is what she is, and it's it's um like the the pinnacle of 
QS battleground. So yeah, I, I I love watching it, and I love yeah, like I said, I love seeing who's got their who's got their small wave act together because it's it's very difficult. The other thing that's difficult about that wave is if you're in a winning position in a heat, it's so horrifying to know kind of you know how to play your cards from this point on because there's so many waves that just do nothing out the back. And you kind of thinking, well, why would I even want to ride this wave? And all of a sudden, you know, Surfer X goes hop, hop, hop all the way to the shorey, and they just get like this dream, dream reform. And um, you know, it just starts raining six, six, sevens, and you're getting eliminated. So, yeah, there's so many things to uh, consider. It's um, so much heartbreak at that event. Yeah. So, and another little, just kind of funny, quirky uh, storyline that we have is Keanu Singh. He obviously was on the CT for a while. He won a CT event, but he was always sort of, you know, bottom of the pack, like just fighting for his spot on tour, a la Jadson. And he um, fell off quite a few years ago. He, you know, did some QS events between then, but he never really found his feet again. So he ended up becoming the team manager for Billabong, which it's a company that he actually used to ride for in his amateur years. And then out of the blue, he goes and like has, he gets a wild card into Bolito, has a huge event. Now he's sitting at, I think, 18th on the Challenger Series, and he's got a wild card into the US Open. So while he is coaching some of these kids and, you know, overseeing what they're doing in this event, he's going to be surfing in it himself. He's doing a Tommy Witt. It's definitely an interesting one. It's so funny how surfing, I think probably sport in general, like Keanu would have gone to South Africa with big plans. Uh, no doubt, full of belief, but, you know, if you had told him a week before, hey, man, you're going to get a third and you're going to get a spot in the US Open, like, he probably would have gone, nah, nah, like, I-, I would love that to happen, but, like, deep down, nah, I'm kind of on the next part now. I want to go here and support these juniors and, um, you know, start to create a big of a legacy for himself, you know, like, he's been such a good ambassador for the sport, particularly for those kids, like you said, that might not have had the crazy talent. He's put in the hard work, and he's had you know, an amazing career, even though he was always... And for the short guys. Well, that's right, Mikey, like yourself. He's, he's putting one up for the <laughs> for the, um, the vertically challenged, but it's it's one of those things where he's in a spot now where, like, you're talking about wanting to leave a legacy. Well, man, he's got a family of his own, and he's, you know, one more big result away from getting back on tour, which is a massive pay increase from being a team manager at a, at a brand. So, is it? I think so for sure. I don't know. If you really do the math of all the travel and like if you assume you're not getting great results in the CT, the new five stopper kind of thing is pretty hectic because I'm not too sure how Anu Boy would go with the cart, but in a regular year, you're still guaranteed 100 US. If you do it on the cheap, you, you're still making money. You're making, you know, you're making good money. All right, if you say so. Um, okay, so now, the women. So this was, oddly enough, it seems so strange now in retrospect. Maybe it even did in the moment. Uh, this was a CT event up until 2018. And so, as a result, pretty much all the people that have won it recently have been CT surfers. That, of course, ended last year when 15-year-old Katie Simmers came out and stomped the field, taking out some big names along the way. She's actually not the youngest person to ever win this event though that was malia manuel back when she was 14 stacy i don't even think you knew who she was back then um no i think i did um she went uh when was that all girls surf trip transworld surf did something 
Um, uh, leave a message? I think so. Nike? Yeah. I'm not. That was around then, I think. She had a big year. Okay, so that was what? That was like 14 years ago, probably, because she's 28-ish? Mm, yep. Yeah, so anyway, um, that's sort of the history there. So it's only been a, like, Challenger Series QS event for the last two times it's run, 2019 and 2021. Sage Erickson won in 2019. She also won it as a CT event once. I don't know, again, because we don't have a heat draw, if Sage is competing this year, if she's going to try to use that as a springboard back onto the tour, or if she's sort of happy just living the life. She would need a wild card if she wanted to compete, because I don't believe that she made um, the Challenger Series um, events. Uh, however, because... But if somebody's getting a wild card, you'd have to think she'd get one, right? Two-time winner. 100% American, you know, event in your backyard. I, I can't see why she wouldn't get in, but I don't know, man. Like, surfers have a funny way of thinking that wild cards just appear in their letterbox. You've actually got to apply for them, and I don't know if Sage is, like, super committed at the moment, but, yeah, I definitely think she deserves to be in it, for sure. No doubt about it. But, yeah, you've got to... You know, you've definitely got to put your hand up. All right, so... We know that Katie's competing again. Um, she was actually just down in Mexico filming for one stab film and then in a totally separate stab film that I just actually got to see yesterday for the first time that will be dropping either next week or the week after. Um, it was actually about her trip down to Australia. Obviously, some of her stuff at Snapper, but we talked before about um, how she went down and surfed with Russ Bierke. So watching that film just reinstilled in my mind how incredible Katie is at surfing like truly truly incredible at surfing that being said there's a lot of heats to get through at the US Open a lot of things that can happen a lot of times when you're just scrounging for a 4.63 so with that being said who do you see as sort of favorites going to this event um I think Alyssa Spencer's due um she's uh kind of like the regional US kind of just beast and wins everything over there at a regional level and as much as I'm sure she's enjoyed those victories I know deep down she'd love to crack one um, in in the big leagues and, and what better place to do it than a couple of hours up the road from, from her home that's a great call I really like that um, yeah Alyssa we, we talked I think last week or maybe two weeks ago about Matt Myers um, her coach and yeah, she, Matt Myers told me a story when I was interviewing him for that piece that Alyssa had this moment um, back about a year ago where she got, she lost in the semifinal to this girl that she'd been losing to over and over again. And she was so sick of it that she just finally decided to go up to the judges and be like, what is going on? Like, what do I have to do to beat this person? And Matt said that the judges didn't exactly like give her an answer that, you know, <laughs> would help her in the future. But what it did was like, just taking that step to go up and confront the judges gave her this like feeling of, you know, power and confidence that she then rode to winning four QS events in a row in the North American series. Um, so that's what Stace was alluding to. And I think that she's right now, she's just below the cut line for the women on the challenger series. And she just missed the cut last year to make the CT at Haleiwa. So I think you're on to something here, Stacy. I think she could have a huge result and it could springboard her onto the CT. And I, I'd love to see her have a crack at that as well. I think her backhand is amazing. Have you got any surf sins you need to, um, I think you must be in arrears surely. So I'm going to give you one right now. Cause I'm, I know you've been sinning all over the fucking world, Mikey. 
Get out Huntington right now in the thick of a QS pack that don't know the heat draw. And who knows? They might just think that, you know, you're out there practicing and that. Get a filmer, get a camera, get Danny to do some shit. And I'd love you to get out there and just feel that energy. Stacy, I can't do it without my coach. I need you over here. I'm, I'm there in spirit. <clears throat> I do all my coaching digitally these days. So it's, you know, get me on FaceTime. It's happening. I'll have my clipboard here. I'll get an Apple Watch, and uh, yeah, we can have a conversation while I'm out in the lineup. You can help me out. Mm. You can watch the Surfline cam uh, and let yeah. me know if I'm sitting in the wrong spot. And yeah, I've actually tried that before. It didn't work, and the Apple Watch that I bought has lived in the box ever since. Well, sunk cost. Yep, and it's also in the rule book that we can't do that. So yeah, we're gonna have to come up with a new plan. <laughs> um, I could get some sort of carrier pigeon to end up on the pier I could yell at you from the pier if you know there was someone holding oh, a phone or something great. that would be sick definitely a phone with a, oh. with a megaphone attached oh my yep. god that would be amazing so you want to surf a heat I reckon we can get you in the draw <laughs> yeah let's get me a wild card I, I submitted my petition and I haven't heard anything back and you got to surf in the stab highway referee um <laughs> just <laughs> I actually just on that um I did a session at D-Bar the other day with a couple of um very enthusiastic young grommets uh and um I did a mini stab highway challenge you'd be proud to know um one three oh left and right <clears throat> Uh, a roundhouse with a carving three at the back of it. Oh, sorry, like a reverse out of the foam. Uh, and then, um, geez, what was the last one? Anyway, it was good fun. It was, it was, it was, it was great. I loved the challenge. And, um, I think it's fantastic what, um, Stab Highway does for the sport. Wow. We're impacting the, the youth, the future of surfing. This is great. Did you not watch Ladybirds? <laughs> yes. Well, that was a little bit more straightforward. <laughs> but I'm glad that uh, Highway, in all of its antics, is having a positive impact. Yeah. I, I got it out. The Chipper Wilson episodes in Australia got me really hyped on the chop-ops. So I've been trying to also feed that into the program as well. Of yourself? Have you been trying chop-ups? No. Um, I'm a flightless bird, Mikey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we need your uh, your next joyride. We haven't seen you in a while, by the way. <laughs> I actually had an attempt in there. You're going to like it. Okay, cool. Looking forward to it. I think you're coming out next. I'm coming out with a joyride uh, in the next week or so from Panda, and then you're going to come over the top with what, a JS? JS, yeah. Beautiful, beautiful. All right, well, that's what you got to look forward to. If you, uh, you know, if the surfing in the U.S. Open isn't doing it for you, we've got some joyrides coming your way. and that concludes another episode of The Drop. We hope you enjoyed talking about Jadson Andre, the U.S. Open, math, and everything in between. Um, We're going to be super busy this week producing the pickup. Uh, I'm going to do everything in my power to make sure that we're still getting a podcast up every Friday. And uh, in the meantime, I hope you enjoy the week. Enjoy watching the U.S. Open if that's something that you like to do. And until next week, over and out.